moment and pray and ask the Lord's blessing over the service. We'll get right on into it. Everybody ready? All right. Heavenly Father, we bless you today. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be alive. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the gift of life today. Lord, we thank you that we've given we've been given this gift and we've come here today to bless you to honor you to magnify you to lift you up and we pray God that you would be glorified in us in our church and in our generation Lord we ask that your light God that your light father would be the the answer to the cry of every heart in our generation Lord I ask this morning for your anointing to be upon your word I pray, Father, that you would anoint that word to accomplish everything that you desire. Lord, I pray for that anointing to preach and to teach, Lord, according to your will. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint this word. Let it accomplish everything that you desire. Lord, we all ask for that anointing that we can hear and receive everything that the Spirit is speaking today. And, Lord, we ask all these things. In the only saving name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, everybody says, amen, amen, amen. glory to God. Ephesians chapter 5, one of the most beautiful and powerful parts of the Bible, as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, I want to pick this up, if you will, in verse number 13, it says, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. How many of you know that the world at one time was in darkness, but God said, let there be light. Had God not spoken, let there be light, the world would still be in darkness. And had Jesus not come to the earth, you and I would still be in darkness. But Jesus came to the earth and he came as a light to those that were in darkness and he offers light to every single person, whether they're a pedophile, a rapist, a murderer, a thief, a tax collector, whether they're just a scoundrel or a dirty, rotten person. God came to give light to each and every soul, no matter how many times you've messed up, no matter how messed up you think you are, no matter how messed up you think you've made life, Jesus came to give you light. And I want you to know there's a lot of people today that do not have the light that we're talking about. Amen. There's a lot of people today that are holding on to a figment of the light that they had 20 years ago. There's a lot of people today that are holding on to a flash that they saw. How many of you know that when, when you're in darkness, you need light in the present moment? It doesn't do you any good when you're in darkness to have a, a flashlight that had batteries 15 years ago. Because I promise you, when you try to flick that thing on, it ain't going to work. You can remember what the flashlight looked like with light in it, but it won't help you in the dark of the current situation. And today, there is more darkness encroaching upon the world, just like Jesus said in the last days, these tribulations are going to come, and they're going to come in greater way and more frequent way. We are living in a darker day today than we did yesterday. And if you don't see that and you don't see the need for you to have the light of Jesus, you got to wake up. There is a, a, a moment where we need to understand that God desires his people to walk in light. But we also have to know and understand there's a lot of people that disobey Jesus. Continue with me in this passage. He says in verse number 14, wherefore he saith. 
Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Two things happen in this passage, or three really. One thing is, is that God sees that you're in darkness, and God says, wake up. Wake up, thou that sleepest. This symbolizes the, the, the new birth. This symbolizes when somebody gets saved. Hallelujah. It symbolizes that moment that they come to Jesus, that they call upon the name above every name, that they come to Jesus and repent of their sins, and God wakes them up out of the grave. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're dead in our sins and trespasses before we're born again. Death symbolizes the lost. It symbolizes those that are still in their sins. And if you're still bound by sin today, you need the life of God in you. Amen. If you have the life of God in you, you won't, you won't be going down those roads. Listen to what he's saying. There's a moment in time when God says, wake up, thou that sleepest. And that's when the person responds to God and they get born again. But notice the last verse. It says, and Christ shall give you light. This is what I want to talk about today. There's a lot of people that have had the transaction, right, of waking up. There's a lot of people that said, yes, Jesus. But that last part, it says, Christ shall give you light. What that shows you is that from that moment forward, from the time that you wake up spiritually, hallelujah, from the time that you wake up spiritually, God will, in Christ Jesus, give you light in every step, in every season, in every situation, whether it's a hill, a mountain, or a valley, whether you're walking through a valley of dry bones, whether you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, of sorrow, of depression, of death, no matter the situation that you're going through, he said, Christ shall give you light. I want to tell you this morning, there's a lot of Christians that have missed the light. They've said yes to Jesus. They've woken up from the dead, and then they just sit there. But this, the context of this that we look at as disciples of Jesus Christ is a walk. Every time that God talks about being a follower and being a disciple of Jesus Christ, he always uses the context of your walk. And if you're not walking in the light of Jesus, then you're sitting in the darkness. And you see, this is a problem that we see in Christianity, and I'm going to get down into the nitty-gritty of this this morning. But there comes a time when you have to understand that the, the only way that you're going to be able to remain on the straight and narrow path that Jesus told you to be on. How many of you know that Jesus told you to be on the straight and narrow path? The only way that you're going to be able to do that is to walk in the light of Jesus. You can't do that in your own strength. See, if you've got spiritual pride, you've, you've already got the deck stacked against you. Humility is one of the key characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ. When he told those disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they no longer could go where they wanted to go, do what they wanted to do. It wasn't about their opinion. It wasn't about what flavor they liked. It wasn't about what time they wanted to go. It was time to go and they were going to follow Jesus. Whether he went to Damascus or Jericho or Jerusalem or Nazareth or wherever he went, 
They were following him. And that talks about humility in our life. That's following where the light of Jesus leads us. And if we as Christians in our generations want to stay on the straight and narrow path, we must get with Jesus. We must get alone with Jesus. We must be consecrated unto Jesus. And listen to me real closely. You have to purpose in your heart to follow him. This is not about you going where you want to go, doing what you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it. This is not about your opinion. This is not God's kingdom is not Baskin Robbins where there's 31 different flavors of opinions. There's one way and Jesus is the way. There's one light. Jesus is the light. There's one road. Jesus is the road. There's one life. Jesus is the life. There's one heaven and that's the only heaven. And if you want to make that heaven, you got to walk in his light, walk in his way, have his life inside you and love him and know him and call on him. And God's calling on the church today to come out of the darkness, stop sitting in the darkness and walk in the light. Now I want to I want to talk to you about what I mean about this. A lot of people in their Christian walk, they 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 stay in a place of transaction. God wants you to move on to transformation. This is what I want to talk about today. A lot of people they look at Christianity as a transaction. I punched a time clock. I said yes. I went there. I did this. Notice where the eye is. I punched that clock. I did that thing. I said that word. Hey, we're in the Bible Belt. I repeated that prayer. Come on, somebody. I did what I need to do. That's a transaction. God's calling us to come out of transaction and to move into transformation. I want to show you what I'm talking about in just a few minutes, but I want, I want you to think about something. A, 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 a person who stays in a place of looking at God as a transaction is a person who is still self-sustaining their own life. They've punched the clock. They've said the word. They've done the thing. Now leave me alone. I got this. But a true disciple of Jesus Christ is a follower. Where you bid me to go, Lord, I'll go. Who you bid me to love, Lord, I'll love. What you bid me to do, Lord, I'll do. This is the heart of the disciple. And I don't know if you know this, but you are called to be a disciple. You are not called to be a sideline cheerleader. You are not called to be a participator from the outside looking in. You're not called to be a spectator. God's invited you to be a disciple. God has invited you just like he invited those 12 disciples, just like he invited James and Peter and John, just like he didn't invite all of them. He's invited you to be his disciple. How many of you know that Jesus is alive today? How many of you know that he communicates with us today? The Holy Ghost's purpose was to point to us to Jesus. Amen? To remind us of what he taught. To bring back to our recollection the thing that Christ said. Everything that the Holy Ghost does points to Jesus. The Holy Ghost never points to himself. He always points to Jesus. That's his job. Now, listen, listen to this part right here. It says... Christ will give you light. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How many of you believe we live in evil days? Amen. 
God's telling you here that there's a calling on your life to redeem the days. How do you redeem something? To redeem something, you purchase it back. It's you, 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 you go and you purchase it. It is about you looking at the day and hour in which you live in with purpose to purchase it for God's glory. We don't wake up and we just, oh, I think I'm just going to you know, do this today and I think I'm just going to do that today. God said, now I want you to know this is not a suggestion by God. God, God doesn't give a suggestion here. This is a commandment. This is one of the commandments of the New Testament as a follower of Jesus. If you submitted your life to Jesus, if you gave your life to Jesus, you're supposed to obey his commandments. This is how you show that you love him. If you love him, he said, obey my commandments. And here's a commandment of God is for you to not live a purposeless life. Redeem the time. How do you redeem the time? Purchase it for the glory of God. Purchase it that Christ be exalted in your life and in your generation. Use it for God's glory. Well, I, I, all I got to do today is go to work. Well, go to work for the glory of God. Tell somebody about Jesus. Live a holy life. Let the light of God shine through you. There is a purpose to your existence, and one of them you see here is to redeem the time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Look up in that next verse in front of it. It said, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The, the word circumspectly means that every step you take is measured. Measured. You know, before you walk on a, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you walk across a creek and it's like a little tree that's across that creek, every step you take, you make sure that that tree can hold you. You don't just go, right? Nobody does that. I'm talking to some country folks. Okay. You, you don't just go blindly across that tree because it could be dead, rotted, and dried up. And as soon as you put pressure on it, it leads you to disaster. It, the word circumspect means let every step be measured. That means, according to my life, everything I do, I must measure that thing and make sure that what I'm doing is redeeming time for God. It is used for the glory of God. It is that God can be seen in our lives. It is that God is glorified in how we do things and what we do. Is giving God glory in these things. So circumspect. Now, notice in that same verse... If you're walking circumspectly, you're wise, but if you're not, you're a fool. That's God saying it, not me. There's no middle ground. That's one of my favorite sermons, right? There's no middle ground. It's either a ball or a strike. It's in or it's out. It's holy or unholy. It's consecrated or common. Amen. It's saved or not saved. It's born again or lost. It's light or dark. You're either a fool or you're wise. And as children of God, God has invited us and called us to not a purposeless, foolish life, but a life of purpose that is wise, redeeming the time that God's given us. And the key to it, I believe, is that you've got to stop looking at Christianity as a transaction and look at it as a transformation. It is a transformation. God's called you to have a transformed life. Not to recollect a transaction that you punched 30 years ago. It's about the life of God in you. 
It is about the Spirit of God in you. It is about not you, but God in you. Is not Christ in us the hope of glory? Come on, somebody. Christ in us is the hope of glory. My, my hope of glory is not that I punched a clock and repeated a prayer. My hope of glory is the fact that Christ lives in me. And this is the root and the, and the marrow of the situation. You have to have Christ in you. If you don't have Christ in you, you don't have hope of glory. You don't have hope of nothing. But it says, God, God here, I want to t- say this one more time before I move forward. He said, wake up, and then Christ will give you light to walk on. Ask yourself if you're walking in the light that Jesus has for you. If you're living a life circumspect, every step measured, that the light of Jesus Christ is what le- is leading you and guiding you in everything you do. Well, pastor, I'm not robbing any banks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living a life on purpose for God, not you. Transformation. Let's talk about this for a second. Turn with me to John chapter 2. I want to deal with the transaction first. John chapter number 2. Hallelujah. We're going to get to the nitty gritty. In John chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 13, transaction is what the, the, the flesh looks for. How many, the, the, the world really and truly loves the transaction. That's how people can go in certain places and make certain confessions in certain booths and then walk out. None the better. None the better. Maybe they suit their conscience, but their life has not been changed. They walk out of that confessional booth, none the better. They made a transaction. They didn't get transformation. And God forbid the church of Jesus Christ live in such a manner, such a low level of Christianity that we look at things as a transaction, but we miss the greater, the transformation. There's a transformational power of God in our life. The life that we live in the flesh, look, it's not us, but it's Christ in us. And you have to come to that place where it is Christ in you, the transformational power of God in you. Not you, but Christ in you is what we're talking about today. John chapter number 2, verse 13, it says the Jews Passover. Notice that the Jews Passover, not the Gentiles Passover. The Gentiles don't have a Passover It's the Jews' Passover. That's for the Hebrew roots out there. It says, The Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Pause. It's Passover. Everybody knows what happened at Passover, right? The lamb had to get slain. Amen? Passover is about a blood sacrifice to cover your family. And if your family couldn't afford one, you could go in with your neighbor and y'all could split one. But it was all about a sacrifice to cover the sin of the family. One time a year. You had to bring a sacrifice. They've changed the bringing of the sacrifice to a transaction. 
You see, one time, whenever I was younger, we used to raise pigs, and we raised cattle, and we raised all kinds of stuff, and none of my animals ever made the show. They never made any money, and we always had to eat my animals, right? And I would cry, oh, spent nine months raising this thing, and now we got to eat it, you know. It cost me something. <laughs> it hurt, because I, I, I love that, I loved that animal. And that's one, that's one of the things that happened to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and they sinned and God clothed them with the skin of animals. They grieved because there was an innocent animal that Adam had named that had to die for his sin. And the Passover parallels that same thing because one of the lamb of their flock that they knew, that they loved, that they took care of, that they made sure was, was you know, safe and secure, was fed right, watered, taken care of, they had to bring one of those blemishless lambs that they loved so much and slay it and put that blood over the doorpost. It cost them something. And here they've changed it. Now it's not only it's not what cost them anymore. Now they've relegated the Passover to a transaction. And I, I would submit to you, especially in the Bible Belt, a lot of people that repeat the prayer do the same thing. It's no longer about what you say and how you feel and you giving your life to God and you making that confession of faith unto him. But it is about you repeating someone else's words. It's very similar. But I want you to look more abstract. Look, look, look at the bigger picture. How many people today have relegated the sacrifices, the offerings, the devotion? the love, the discipleship, and they've let, it, let someone else handle it. Let someone else pray. You know, there was a time when God convicted me of that. It was people that every single week they would say, I need you to pray for me. Put me on the prayer list. I need you to pray for me. Put me on the prayer list. I need you to pray for me. Put me on the prayer list. But they would never come to prayer meeting. I say, you want me to stand for you in prayer, but you won't come to prayer. I don't mind praying for you, but there comes a time when you need to pray. There comes a time when you need to, you, you need to put prayer in motion. And you see, these people had taken a step back from the discipleship, the obedience, the love, the devotion. They took a step back from all of that, and they let someone else handle all that. You know, if, if you take a step back and you let other people handle the love, the devotion, the prayer meeting, you let someone else handle the obedience to God, you let someone else handle the, the you know, they they on fire for God. they the front of the bus. they the tip of the spear. They're the ones out there. We just, you know, we, we, we just back here, you know, making sure, you know, there's no, no cobwebs in the corner. Let someone else handle all that. God's not satisfied with nary one of his sheep living a transaction life without the transformation. God's looking over his sheep and he's seeing if there's any malnourished sheep today. You may be on the outside trying to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. 
But God's looking inside and he's seeing whether his sheep are malnourished or not. Whether his sheep are living off of a transaction from years past or whether they have the living, present, transformational power of God in their life. And these people, they, 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 they were satisfied with other people bringing sacrifices that they were supposed to bring. God forbid we ever do the same. Don't ever be satisfied with someone else outpacing your love for God. Don't ever be satisfied with someone else singing louder than you, clapping louder than you. Don't ever be satisfied with someone else being more devoted, more in love, more discipled. Don't ever be satisfied with someone else having more love for God than you. Oh, what a call. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love the Lord your God. One of the things that we see in this passage is that these people had lost the meaning of sacrifice. They relegated it to a transaction. Do you see that? You see that? Do you see how that can happen in a church world today? Many ways this can happen. But God's not satisfied with that. And here God's in the flesh. And he wasn't satisfied with it. You know, God don't change whether he's in the flesh or not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. He said, look, look at this. It says in verse number 15, and when he had made a scourge of small cords. You know, when I, when I read that, I was like, that's like a dad or a mom that when a kid starts getting in trouble, they just start getting the belt ready. They don't say a word. How many have ever been in trouble like that before? I got one of those spankings one time, and I never forgot it. You, you, you start messing up. You start doing something you know you're not supposed to do, and you see Dad over there not saying a word, but he takes that belt off, and he starts walking to you not saying a word. You're like, okay, this is not good. This is not good. And here Jesus walks in, and he sees the Jews transactioning sacrifice and he begins to make a scourge small cords it says now let me let 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 me say this the sloppy agape christian don't like this verse but it's in the bible so you got to eat it this is part of jesus he had zeal for god Sometimes you got to get muddy to get things right. Not all the time, but sometimes duty calls for a man of God to roll up his sleeves, put his, put his pants leg inside his boots, and go in the mud and rescue somebody. Sometimes you got to do that. He say, it says in verse 15, when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables and he said unto them that sold doves take these things hence and make not my father's house and house of merchandise he 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 called them to leave stop selling sacrifice you cannot get close to god through a transaction like that. 
the sacrifice that was bought that someone else brought means nothing to God in this instance. You could have bought 50 million sheep that day. You could have brought all the doves, and so it would have meant nothing to God. Nothing to God. The heathen, the Muslims even today, will, will, will beat themselves to where blood begins to pour out of their own bodies as a sign of sacrifice and devotion. These are all cheap imitations. God never required those things. God never told you to buy a sacrifice of someone else's hand. God has specifics. It says in verse 17, After Jesus drove them out and he said, To make not my father's house a house of merchandise, his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Jesus was more zealous for the house of God than to receive a, 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 a lesser sacrifice. Can I tell you that God hasn't changed? Can I, uh, this will be the second time I told you. God hasn't changed. God still ain't satisfied with people bringing a sacrifice that was a transactional purchase thing that didn't cost them something. God's still not satisfied with his house being a house of merchandise where we sell t-shirts and coffee. God's still not satisfied with the church making a mockery of what the house of God is supposed to be, which is a house of prayer. This is supposed to be a place where we come and we lay down our burdens and we get things right with God and we don't get up until we touch the heart of God, not the place where we come with a $20 bill and walk out with a, a lamb's horn. This is supposed to be the place where we get God, not transactional things. Sometimes we can relegate our spiritual life into a transaction. It's easy. This is what easy Christianity is. But God's not satisfied with what we've made it to be. God wants your heart. As I told you earlier, God looks over those sheep and, and he's not satisfied with not one sheep being malnourished. He's not satisfied with one sheep not having the transformational life of the Holy Ghost in them. God is not satisfied with one soul perishing, one soul famished. God's not satisfied with one Christian living a foolish life, not redeeming the time. God's not satisfied with it. Neither should we. We have a higher purpose and a higher calling in our life than this. Fools proceed without purpose. How many of you think that this probably got the attention of a few people? Maybe we shouldn't be selling sacrifices. Maybe. But there are some people that just keep walking on. How many of you know sometimes God will come and knock on the door of your heart and he'll tell you, wake up, you're walking to danger. You're going on the wrong road. Oh, especially if you're going through the motions. If you've got the form of godliness, but you don't have the power of God in your life. If you're going through the motions and you know the right words, but you don't have the power of God to back up those words. If you know about God, but you don't have God in you, that's when you're in danger. That's when you're going down that wrong road and God's knocking on the door of the heart and he's saying, don't go down that road because you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others and you're going to miss God. You're going to hurt yourself. 
You're going to hurt others and you're going to miss God. So don't relegate Christianity to a transaction. Press forward to transformation. Press forward to transformation. There has to be a time in our life when we're willing to let things go. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Matthew chapter 18. There's times that we have to take inventory and see whether things are hindering us or not. Sometimes it could be a a relationship. Sometimes it could be a, a hobby. Sometimes it could just be our negligence. Sometimes we could be satisfied with where we're at when God ain't. God forbid that we get satisfied with where we are when God's not satisfied with us. How blind can we be? Do you know people that are always right? Let's not be like that with God. Let's let him be right and let him give us light to live in. Amen? It says in verse 8 and 9 of of Matthew chapter 18, now Jesus here is dealing with, with, with pressing into the kingdom of God and conversion and entering into the kingdom. Look what he says in verse 8 and 9. He said, wherefore... If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Jesus is not literally asking you to take your eyeball out. What he's saying is if there's things that you're putting before your eyes that does not honor God and is leading you into sin, remove it. Do whatever you have to do to remove it. If there's things that you're doing and you just won't stop doing it, then take it out of your house. Take it out of your home. Take it out of whatever is leading you in that road, but do what you have to do. But listen to me, in order to do this, you have to take inventory. And how many, I, and I just asked you, we're not always right, are we? Is God always right? So who should we ask? Lord, should I be doing this? Lord, sh- should, I be, should I be going here? This is called walking circumspectly. Taking measured steps on purpose. Lord, should I... Have this? Should I do that? Should I go there? Should I not do this? Lord, lead me. You are the light that I need. You are the one that guides my steps. You are my comforter, my counselor. You are the righteous judge and the holy one. And Lord, I'm asking you to lead and guide me. And I'm asking you, Lord, should I do this? Boy, that takes humility to do that. If you're always right, then you you got a problem here. You and God button heads. Oh, you wouldn't do it on the outside. You would put some religious lingo on it. But in order for us to stay on the straight and narrow path, we must come back to that place where we take inventory and not me taking inventory. I promise you, there was a time in my life that I thought I was right and I was dead in my sins. 
Jeremiah chapter 17 says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. You can't trust your own heart. You don't take inventory yourself. You go to God and you say, God, is this right? Is this holy? Is this where the life is? Is this the straight and narrow path? Or if I'm on the wrong road, Lord, show me. Lead me into the path of everlasting life, God. If I have to take the computer out of my house, Lord, I'll take it out. If I have to cut cable, I'll cut it out. If I have to stop going to to so-and-so's house, Lord, I'll stop going to so-and-so's house. But we have to have God's word on the subject. If you only stay in the place of transaction, you've done been there, done that, said the word, done the deed, repeated the prayer, and now your life is your own. You're not following Jesus any more than Judas did. He got the transaction, but he did what he wanted to do when he sold Jesus for some coins. Don't do that. Don't sell Jesus for coins. Don't think you know better. Humble ourselves and say, Lord, show me the way. You know that God loves you more than you love you? God loves you more than you love you. He came and sacrificed himself for you. You didn't do that for you. He loves you more than you love you. He wants you. He chose you. He loved you while you were yet a sinner. A lot of times in relationships, we won't love somebody until they get right. God loved you before you got right. Tell me that you love God the same way. No, he loved you in a greater way. He loved you while you were yet out of fellowship with him. When you were yet in darkness, while you were yet unholy, God loved you. We have relationships where we we won't love somebody unless they do this. We won't won't do that unless they do this. It's got to be reciprocal. God so loved the world, not the righteous. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever will believe upon him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved in a greater way than we ever have. And so knowing that, I know that God loves me and I know that he wants the best for me. And if he shows something to me, if he reveals something to me that I need to cut off or pluck out, if I need to cast something off of my life, I know that he loves me so much that it's better for me to cast off what I think I like than to be cast off from God and to be cast into hell. I know that he loves me. And so I trust his judgment. I know he wants the best for me. But in order to know this, you cannot remain in that place of transaction. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to press forward into transformation. Romans chapter number 12. People that are living that transaction life are still maintaining the control over it. See, when you have a transformed life, it's no longer yours. Verses 1 and 2. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God's called you to live a life in subjection to him, but the key to this passage is in verse number two. Don't be conformed to the world. The word conform is, is like the, the image of a cookie cutter. It's how you, you, fit, you fit the cookie dough inside the cookie cutter, right? And the world is all the time conforming you to its image. See, to the, to the young people in the church today, God, God is wanting you to know that the world is trying to conform you to its image. But God wants to transform you from the inside out so that you break the mold that the world's trying to put on you. You will never be able to break the mold that the world's putting on you until the life of God is in you. You can't do it in your own strength. But the world is all the time pressing down, not only on these younger people, on us older people too. The world is, is pushing you down. You, you go in some church, you're not supposed to lift your hand, conform. Okay. You're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to shout out the name of Jesus on the street. Conform. Okay. You're not supposed to live a holy, hot life for God. Conform. Okay. The whole time the world is conforming, getting us to accept a lesser life. Getting us to call the things that are unholy okay. Right? Well, pastor took sick. Pastor took the secretary for wife. I, I mean, I, I know it ain't right, but I mean, he preaches good. I know it ain't right, but he preaches good. I mean, how can he not be of God? He preaches good. Is that what Jesus said? I thought Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. You can call a banana apple if you want, but man, don't be deceived. The, the, the thing is, is the world is all the time pushing the standard of the world onto the church, getting us to conform to its ways. Now we have churches that are accepting the same-sex marriage, that are marrying same-sex couples, that are endorsing sodomy, that are endorsing the things that God forbids, that are condoning things that God says don't do. We're conforming to the world, not only in the church, but in our homes, in our hearts. We're living a life without the power of God in us. Long time ago, Charles Finney said, as goes the pulpit, so goes the nation. And yes, as goes the pulpit, when the pulpit starts conforming to the way of the world, making merchandise in the house of God, sanctifying unholy things, condoning indecency and adultery and all kinds of other evil things. When we see the pulpits doing that, it will breed into the home. It doesn't go the other way. 
Once the pulpit starts zipping its lip, once the pulpit stops lifting its voice like a trumpet, once the pulpit stops preaching the Word of God and begins to read book reports and begins to spew the psychology of the world, then we know beyond a shadow of a doubt conformity is set into the church of God and it will move into the houses of the people. And you want to know why the nation's messed up? And now we're looking for political leaders to turn the nation around. You will never have the life of God in something that has been conformed to the world. It has to be changed. It has to be transformed by the power of God. The word transform, uh, the Greek part of it means metamorpho. I know you know what metamorphosis means. It's, it's what a, a, that little cocoon when the butterfly comes out. That's a metamorphosis. It once was a, a, a worm and now it's a, a butterfly. Right? That's what it means. Metamorphosis. It's changed. It's no longer what it was. That butterfly can no more become that, that, that worm again than it can become an astronaut. It's different now. It's no longer what it once was. It went through a change. It went through a process in the cocoon. And when it came out, it started flapping its wings. It didn't just sit there. And you see, I began this message in Ephesians 5 because it said, Wake up from the dead, arise, and Christ will give you light. Let me say it like this. Get out of the cocoon and start flapping your wings. See, God has called you to come out of the cocoon to be changed by the power of God, be changed, be saved, and then flap your wings. Walk in the light that God gives you. Be be transformed. Be transformed. The transformational power of God is the power of God at work in you, that you are subjecting yourself to the influence of God's Holy Spirit. This can't be imitated you have to you have to subject yourself to the influence of the holy spirit the spirit of god the everlasting spirit the lord is that spirit you have to subject yourself say lord i'll go where you want me to go i'll do what you want me to do Sometimes the Lord will want you to sit at his feet like the, the, like the woman that was uh, washing the feet of Jesus with her tears. But you see, the transactional Christian, they can't do that. They'll say, well, how long do I got to sit here? When is my transaction over? Hello. When is this worship song going to end? When is this sermon going to end? Oh. <laughs> the, the, the transactional person is that person that says, okay, I, sh- I shed five tears on his feet. I've been here for two minutes. Is that enough? How many tears I got to shed on your feet, Lord? How many sacrifices I got to bring this year, Lord? How many times I got to go to church, Lord? The transformational person is the one that just is living in subjection to the Holy Ghost. Is praying as the Holy Ghost says pray. Is doing what the Holy Ghost says do. Living as the Holy Ghost empowers. 
This this call upon your life to be a transformed Christian, it says by the renewing of your mind, it means to constantly be going back to the Word of God and the influence of the Holy Ghost for direction and for power. It is to constantly be going back and reminding yourself and reminding the devil and reminding everyone around you who your Lord is. Renew your mind. Get the Word of God on the matter. And let the Spirit of God be the one in charge from this point forward. When Jesus told those disciples, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I understand fishers of men and evangelism, but don't miss follow me. Those two words, follow me. That's what God's looking for in us. Is that you're willing to be who God wants you to be. You know, when, that, when, when, when you go through that transformational process, you don't know what it's going to be like on the other side. Hello? I called my wife yesterday. I, was on the, I had to go to Texas to meet with some brothers. And I, I literally passed a restaurant. I passed the restaurant the, the day after I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. I passed the restaurant where I, I called my mom on that Monday. She was working in a, in a town. I called my mom on that Monday and I said, Mom, you got to meet me for lunch. I, I got to tell you something. And I remember crying in front of my mom in this Mexican restaurant, crying. I said, Mom, I done got saved. And she was like, well, that's good. What's wrong? And I said, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't have any friends anymore. I know that I, my friends have to change. I know everything's changed. I don't know how I'm supposed to have fun anymore. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to listen to, what I'm supposed to watch. I don't know how to do this. And I was just crying. But I had been in that cocoon, and I didn't know what it was going to be like on that outside. But I was willing to let God take me where he wanted to take me. I, I, I didn't know where it would go. I really didn't know where it would go. And you know, God's looking for us today to follow him wherever he calls you to go. Not in your own strength, but out of that transformation. Not transaction, out of that transformation. The indwelling presence and power of God. God wants that for each and every one of us. He has light for you to walk in. And today, if you'll ask him, he'll give you that light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you this day. Lord, we thank you for the influence of the Holy Ghost in our life. We thank you, Lord, that there is not one day that we walk without your light. But Lord, some of us here may be in darkness. Some of us here today may not know what it's like to walk in your light. Some of us here today may have looked at repeating a prayer like those Jews did at the Passover of buying a purchased sacrifice. Lord, I pray that not one person in here would have a purchased sacrifice. But Lord, that we would be possessed by your sacrifice, redeemed by your precious blood.
not living our own life in our own strength, but a transformed life, metamorphosis, changed into another. That's what the word means, metamorphosis, changed into another. This morning, 